Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Hello and welcome everyone. Welcome to the China Shop. Get inside and strap yourselves in. We have a rocket ship of an interview ready queued up for you today. As always, I'm Shopkeeper Dan. With me is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing good. How long have you been sitting on that intro waiting to, to use that one? Just popped into my head just now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I live. can tell. <laughs> okay, we'll do it live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're excited. We are joined today by none other than Anthony Vicino. Vicino. Author, investor, and entrepreneur. How are you doing today, Anthony? I'm doing fantastic. I gotta I just gotta say, like, I really appreciate that intro because it went from like bulls, China shop, rockets, trapping. I'm like, man, it's going everywhere. We got bulls on a rocket ship. <laughs> Fun. Has anyone done that yet? Yeah. I don't know if I'd recommend this, you know, but let's give it a shot. <laughs> I mean, if Elon Musk can send his uh, Tesla Roadster into, uh, you know, right. orbit, then we can send. Uh, I just saw a story pop up on that. Uh, this is a bit of a digression, but uh, trying to figure out what the Tesla looks like today. <laughs> and, and they're like, they're picturing basically like a cloud of like particles of like all the paint and rubber and stuff that's deteriorated away. Like the little dude sitting in the seats probably, probably doing all right. But anything that's plastic or rubber is probably disintegrated by now. <laughs> He's in his. Anybody who finds that car is not going to be able to drive it. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure why else he'd send it into space. Yeah, I mean, the marginal utility of that vehicle. You know, when, it, when you drive a car off the lot, it depreciates by like, what, 30%? And like, as soon yeah. as you shoot it into space, it's like depreciated to zero. It's just Yeah, exactly. Bad <laughs> 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 investment. So. Oh, I mean, I'm trying to bring this full circle back to my you know, listeners being like, hmm, this has to do with yeah, this. So if you want to invest in something, don't shoot it into space. Yeah, yeah. space cars. Not a good All right. So what other helpful tips do you have for the, <laughs> the new investor? <laughs> yeah, I, I blew my, my payload. <laughs> hey, Anthony, why, why don't you tell us about yourself and a little bit about your journey? Sure. Um, I think, you know, to, to explain my story, you first have to really understand that I have ADHD. Like at a certain point in my life, uh, you might say crypto. It was, it was really hard growing up and specifically in coming out of I just knew I couldn't cut it in like the corporate world at all because I, in college I had like 20 jobs. Like I fired from every single one of them. Like <laughs> it was bad. And I barely passed school in general. Like the only reason that I did pass was because I can test really, really well. So uh, I know like, that feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was problematic though because like I didn't fit into society's conception of like what it meant to be like a meaningful member of society. So I had to figure out, okay, what's my path through life? Because at that point, I was like unfocused, undisciplined, unreliable. I like had bad friendships. I, well, because I was a bad friend. I was a bad employee. Like, I was like, what am I doing with my life? I went off and I just pursued like my own thing at that point, which was mm -hmm. uh, professional rock climbing. 
cool maybe to some people, but realistically all it meant is that like I sleep in the dirt more. I was just digging into that free solo uh, documentary that, oh, that yeah, popped up. Yeah. yeah. So if it's anything Ooh. like that, that looks terrifying to me. Yeah. No, yeah. no thank you. <laughs> I've done a little bit of that, not the level that Alex did, but um, yeah, I used to hang out with Alex actually quite a bit in like dirtbag lifestyle. And it was cool until I tried to marry this woman and I went to her parents and I was like, can I marry your daughter? And they looked at me and they're like, what are you going to do to provide for? And I was like, ouch, that's rough. Um, that is not how I expected that conversation to go, but it was a fair, it was a fair question because at that point, like I was $80,000 in debt. Like I wasn't doing much with my life besides just climbing rocks, which is personally fulfilling, but not really contributing meaningfully to society. So right. they probably um, didn't like the answer of, well, I thought you were going to keep doing it. Yeah. yeah. They did not like that. So <laughs> I was not like dreams running off. Um, but I did get her to agree to a marriage, uh-huh. which was, which was cool until a year later, she, she broke it off. Um, and then suddenly I was really, really in debt and now I had no place to live because she got the house. So I right. lived in the back of a van for in downtown Oakland, California. Ooh. And I was in a really rough place in my life. I had started writing science fiction and fantasy on the back end of that conversation with her parents. Cause I was like, well, what can I do? Well, I can write. I know how to do that. I can tell stories. I'll become a science fiction writer because I thought that's what you, you, uh, should. <laughs> <laughs> you just pick one of the hardest fields to get into. And then yeah, just do it. I, I was like, Stephen King can do it. Why not me? <laughs> I love your enthusiasm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the, this is the guiding principle of my life is like, just run towards a thing hard enough and long enough. And eventually you'll get the thing. And sooner or later, something's going to stick, right? Exactly. On a long enough time frame. Like as long as I don't quit, I don't fail. That's my mm-hmm. thesis. Um, and it's done me well, but so, you know, I'm living in the back of that van. Things are not going great. I'm writing science fiction and fantasy at this point. It'll be another year until like my first novel. Once that happens, it's like a cascade effect and like the next 11 come in the next three years. So I write like 12, it's a slew of writing, but also during that point, what really got me out of that, like that funk, that place in my life where I was homeless and like not really feeling like I was living up to the potential that I, I thought I had inside of me. Mm-hmm. Cause I think we all like, nobody thinks that they're average, right? Like, no, you probably not think you hit 40. Average. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you're like, oh my God, I've been <laughs> muted this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Parents lied to me. I can't be whatever. <laughs> I was in that. Yeah. I was in that place and a buddy comes to me and he's like, Hey, let's build a business. Cause you're a sad, mopey, sad dude living in the back of a van. So we got to change this. Like, why don't we build a business? And I knew nothing about business at, the t- at that point, um, but I was, I was like, okay, let's do it. Um, why not? So we built a high-rise window washing company, which utilized our skills as rock climbers and our network of rock climbing buddies. And I discovered like, oh my God, I really like entrepreneurship and business. And it was like unlocking this part of my psyche with ADHD and like being able to now apply it meaningfully towards a task that meant a lot to me. I was like, right. this, is, this is what I was meant to do. So over the last Oh, 15 years or so now. I've just been building businesses one after another. That's, in 2019, the, the thing that I focus on the most these days is um, a real estate private equity firm called Invictus Capital. And we, we buy multifamily um, apartment buildings in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And what makes it unique is that we actually do this by partnering with retail investors. So they invest alongside of us in these deals that we uh-huh. then acquire and operate. I just, I cut short some, some parts of the story to keep it. Right, right. Like, that's, that's where we are now. <laughs> so uh, the investing in the commercial real estate then. So you get 
So is it like um, kind of like fundraise where you just you know buy in a portion of the the project and then you just kind of sit back and collect a check? Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. So like what we do is called syndication, and really mm-hmm. it's just a way of you know pooling resources between it. crowdfunding sites like Fundrise is a good example. That's exactly what's happening there. Mm-hmm. When you go and invest in that, you're a limited partner. You're just putting money in, and then the general partners are doing all the work. And it's exactly that, except for we don't use Fundrise because we just go directly to our investor network, mm-hmm. and they invest directly with reduces fees um, that Fundrise would charge, which is great for us and it's great for us. Are you um, only in the Minneapolis area or do you branch out to, to other locations? Yeah, so we, we focus only in the Twin Cities. And the reason for that is we're vertically integrated. So with that, we have an in-house property management company. So mm-hmm. we, we don't just raise capital and deploy capital. We actually go buy these buildings and then we operate them ourselves. Our team is dealing with our residents right. every single day, leasing and maintenance. And so we're kind of a one-stop shop, but that limits us geographically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also our competitive advantage because it's our backyard. Um, so we know this market really well and we love it. That's one of the things that I didn't like about owning property. I still have one house in Mississippi that I rent out, but having to go through a property management firm because I don't live there. So it's kind of hard to, you know, pop in, yep. To yep. fix a couple of roof tiles and call it a day. Like, no, that's a, you know, 12 hour trip. <laughs> yeah. It's a little much. And like when you have to outsource, you know, our thesis, and this is one of the theses that, or thesi, whatever you say. Thesis. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One of our core theses is um, whoever's closest to the consumer wins. Uh And, you know, we did this, we built a manufacturing company that dealt with polyurethanes. And what made that company unique is that we were the first in the industry to go direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, uh, and then also to cut out all supply chain logistics middlemen. And so we took that same concept here, which is like, we don't want to be we don't want to be reliant on property management companies outside of our control because right. it just, they never care about the product as much as you do. And at the end of the day, like if you, if you take care of the residents, the residents take care of the building and that takes care of the investment. That's Yeah. It's hard to find a good one that, like you said, that you can build a rapport with and, and mm-hmm. that cares about your product or your, your property. Nothing worse than having a tenant move out after two years and then getting a $6,000 bill as you have to go replace everything. Yeah. And it makes sense. Like there's, there's no hating on the third party property management companies, but just the way that they're, they get paid, right? Like they get paid on fees. It's very marginal. They get, they get very little money to do all the work. Nobody really likes to do like all the thankless work. So, um, and then you're still paying for all the repairs and everything else you got to do. Exactly. Yeah. Really what you're paying for is trying to get somebody who knows how to screen tenants. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, back to the the ADHD, and then being able like, how did you how did you act? Was it just finding something that actually like you know piqued your interest, or did, no. did you have to do anything no. else to to kind of get through that or over that hump? No, the interesting thing about people with ADHD is like there's a common misconception. They people think that it means that we can't focus, but right. it's that we can't control always what we're focused. But when we are focused on things, like when we're really passionate or we become obsessed with it and we go into what's known as a hyper-focused state, which is like the kissing cousin of the flow state, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like this deep, obsessive state. And that can be for video games. It could be for porn. It could be for business, right? Like, (laughs) so like it just depends on what we put that attention towards. Is it moving us forward towards where we want to be? 
Is it not? Right. And for me, so much of my life struggle was I couldn't figure out how to take my attention, my focus and put it towards the that were going to move me forward mm-hmm. and not move me laterally or backwards. Right. And I think that's the problem that a lot of people get into. So for me, it was starting to create the structures and the habits, the routines in my life that give me the highest percentage chance of spontaneously focusing on the things that we're going to be. And I think it's Jocko Willink. He talks about like um, discipline is freedom. It took me a long time to figure that out on my own, which is, yeah, by creating structure and routine, like you have the ability then to go and manifest your greatness within those like time blocks. But for me, like when I was young, I was on Ritalin until I was 16 and it made me feel trapped in my body. It made me feel like a zombie. Mm. And so I went off that drug and I was like, I'm never doing drugs again. I never want to feel like that. I never want to feel I, I want to be free. And so I like always rebelled against any type of external accountability. Right. And the problem for me was like, I even rebelled against internal accountability. And I'd be like, screw you, Anthony, you can't tell me what to yeah. do. And I wouldn't do it. <laughs> Speak in my language here, Anthony. I get it, man. And so it's like, at the end of the day, discipline beats motivation. And the, and the, the real turning point in my life was, understanding that conceptually, but then being able to apply it practically and saying, okay, we need to build the muscle. Something I think, even if you don't have ADHD is a, is a skill worth acquiring. Yeah. I don't think I have ADHD, but I definitely have a discipline issue. So mm-hmm. any tips on how to acquire that? Um, I think the first thing is somebody says this phrase, I think it was Naval Ravikant that um, self-esteem is the reputation that you have with yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? When we make promises to ourselves and we don't keep those promises, like what does that say about the reputation that you're forging with yourself? If you were to make promises to your, your spouse or to your friends or your coworkers or your employees, and you constantly like did not follow through on that thing that you said you were going to do, you would very quickly establish a relationship with those people of like, he can't be relied on. Right. I can't trust him to like, his promises mean nothing. And yet like, we do this with ourselves constantly. We say, oh, I'm going to go to the gym this many times a week. I'm going to start losing weight. I'm going to, I'm going to be a better, more present father. Uh, I'm not a father, so I, I don't want to say that. <laughs> I'm assuming that's you a father's still saying. be better at it. <laughs> or not. Yeah. No. Um, no, but if you, if, you, if you make these promises to yourself of these goals or these things that you say you're going to do, but then don't follow through with it, like you are just casting another vote for I'm an unreliable person. Right. So I think that's step one is to like get really brutal and honest about like being self-aware and saying, am I actually living up to the reputation that I want to have for myself? Is this the type of person that I want to be? Uh, Mm -hmm. The type of person who says like, I'm going to do this, but then doesn't do it. So I think that's step one. Step two, more practically speaking, like the best, best thing I ever, I ever learned or figured out for myself was two things of like creating routines and trying to like habitualize as much in my life as possible. I think there's a guy in the 20s, I can't remember his name. He said that civilization progresses based on the number of tasks that we can do subconsciously or without hmm. thinking, right? Like, so if you think about it, like it used to take a whole lot of energy and mental um, bandwidth to you know, go from New York to LA when we're riding on a horse and buggy, right? Now right. we can be on a plane. It's like, no, I don't even have to think about this anymore, right? So civilization progresses based on the number of activities that we can do subconsciously or just unconsciously. And that's what habits really allowed me to do. Like 
figuring out, okay, what are the things that I need to habitualize? How do I create routines around that and then guard that time? And the best tactic I have for guarding that time is time blocking, which is just intentional sitting down and saying, if I could, if I could map out my perfect day, Mm -hmm. what would it look like? And then schedule it and then do it. Right. Like it seems so simple, but that, that really is. It sounds simple, but when you try to do something like that, especially when you have issues already with, you know, wanting to rebel from structure, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's no small task. It's not. Yeah. And remember, simple is not easy necessarily. Right. right? And, yep. and, I, and I hate to say this, you know, but there is no easy solution here. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think everybody, like we get into this, what is the quick hit? What is that I can, I can utilize to like hack my system and all roads to nirvana but that road is paved in hard work right <laughs> like, yeah. there's, just, there's no other way around it <laughs> yeah you're just gonna have to climb the hill one way or the other yeah and you hear people talk about like you need to tie like i think nietzsche says like the man with the strong enough why can endure anyhow like i do believe there's a lot of power in that mm-hmm. i've you know like if you can tie what you're doing in your life to a larger sense of meaning it becomes much easier to self mm-hmm. all right yeah. so that's all you have to do dan let's that's block it. off some time and let's work <laughs> done <on>. all right <laughs> hold on let me schedule my day tomorrow make i want to know this is going to be jumping back in time a little bit you managed to get published writing sci-fi so you actually are a pretty good author then <laughs> i don't know if i'm pretty good but somebody you know like people bought my stuff so that was pretty neat that's like, good so- i would say that's good yeah that's fascinating yeah you know it is pretty cool. the science fiction and fantasy like i went pretty deep in that world and i loved it but what I started to discover was that writing stories about robots and things like aliens and things that go boom, like that's a lot of fun. I, I couldn't tie it to a larger purpose in life mm-hmm. um, because like it's, it's at the end of the day, it's entertainment or it's escapism and it's creating an emotional experience for the person reading it, but it's not fundamentally changing their life. And right. I wanted to do something, my writing that was had more potential for impact that somebody could read the thing and go, Oh my God, this, I, I can imply this and it can change. So we wrote, you know, passive investing made simple, which is a book about investing specifically in. Real- and that was cool. It hit number one on Amazon. It's been sitting like top 10 for a long time in commercial real estate. That's, that's pretty neat. Like, and that's um, the one you're offering to, to just give away. Yeah. If you guys, if you're listeners, if anybody out there wants to learn about how to, you know, passive invest in commercial real estate, which I recommend, obviously, I'm very biased. Yeah, right. but, yeah. <laughs> Shoot me an email, um, Anthony at InvictusMultifamily.com, and I'll send you a free copy of the book. I'll make sure nice. I put that in the episode description. Well, thank you. That's a, uh, I wanna, I'm going to get a free copy. I'm going to send an email. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is quite the journey that you've been through then. So, you know, rock climber, writer, commercial real estate investor, uh, and somewhere in there, high-rise window washer, too. <laughs> <laughs> Are we leaving anything else off? I think you also do a podcast too. <laughs> yeah. A couple. So if you're, if you're not interested in reading, but you want to learn about multifamily investing and what we do, then we have a podcast, multifamily investing. Made some. My, my founding partner, uh, Dan and I, we, we have a lot of fun. Have a lot of fun too. So um, about Dan's making good hosts. Huh? <laughs> you know, my Dan's. I don't know if he's as good as your Dan. Um, Oh shit! Thank you. Is your dad the serious one? Yeah, he's he, he's the numbers guy. He brings like the spreadsheets, uh, and I'm like, damn, this is a podcast. People can't see those. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's me looking at stock charts. <laughs> oh, I think this looks like it's gonna go. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, and then I have another podcast that I do with uh, Austin Linney, which is uh, called The Brain Dump. It's all about mm-hmm. the psychology of success, which is like for me, and you guys maybe can resonate with, with parts of this story, is that for a lot of my life, I tied my self-worth to the act of achieving. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the, the dichotomy between the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. And, right. you know, fulfillment implies like, hey, if, if you're not fulfilled, then there's a hole in you. You're not filled, right? And the mistake that I think we as high achievers or, you know, people that are living can fall into is like, we think that we can substitute achievement for fulfillment. So if I can just go get that gold, that blue ribbon, gold ribbon, they don't give gold ribbons, but like gold medal. Right, right, right. If I can just go get that achievement, if I can build that business, <laughs> if I can get the seven figures, if I can, you know, write that book, like then I'll be fulfilled, right? Mm-hmm. And the problem is like achievement is, is a science. I can teach you how to build a business. I can teach you how to write a book. And if you follow the steps, you will do the thing. So it's, it can be formulaic, whereas fulfillment is so individual. It's an art. Like what fulfills you is going to be different than what fulfills me. And for so much, I was trying to fill the hole with achievements and right. they're fundamentally different mediums. Like if you think about fulfillment, like a road of asphalt, and then you think of achievement as a bowl of noodles, the bowl of noodles put into the pothole does fill the hole, but kind of. it does not like <laughs> stop you from getting a flat tire, right? Like it's still a pothole. It just has noodles in it now, right? And that's going to take that. That was the issue that I was running into. I was like, how do I live a life of fulfillment? <laughs> well, I'll just go to achieve things. And I was like, no, I feel empty, but I have all these blue ribbons. Cool. Like now what do I do? So, so what's, uh, what are you getting your fulfillment from now then? It's about tying things to like that deeper meaning and purpose. Like I said, when I was writing science fiction and fantasy, I was like, you know, getting these accolades and, and, and like making good money, but I wasn't, I didn't, it didn't tie to something in internally that felt like I was making the impact on the world that I could. And that's really what real estate investing was for me. Cause at that point in my life, like I had built and exited multiple businesses and was doing very fine on my own, but I had a mentor who said something that was really profound at the time and um, is like super cliche, but responsibility is the price of free. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really compelling of like, okay, what is, if, if, if I want to be free, what's that mean? to the people around me, to the society. Like, what's my obligation? What's my responsibility to that? And then he also said, like, you do the world no favors by playing small, which we've heard that one before. But like those two things in conjunction had me starting approaching the act of building business a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Before it was just a fun exercise to see, like, can I stack these Legos together and build something really cool, right? But then it became, okay, well, can these be vehicles for impact? Can they be vehicles for change? And real estate for me was, was that because I look at it and I say, well, so many people's lives are affected by real estate, whether you're renting or you're going into the grocery store, you know, or you, you know, you buying your first house, like everybody has some kind of relationship with with real estate. And there was a time in my life when I was living in the back of the van and I did not have a good relationship with real estate. I really wanted to, but I could not. And it was very stressful as a result. And so I was like looking at that. And then I looked at the other part of my life that I was really stressed out. And that was finance. I was like super in debt at one point. And so I was like, okay, how can I marry these two? Like helping real estate. Like how can I make an impact on renters and people who are like in that position that I was, which is like workforce housing. You know, they don't have a ton of money, but they, they want a home that they can call their own. Right. And then also like the finances of like, what am I doing with my money? the hell like i don't nobody taught me what to do in school like I'm an idiot and i'm super in debt but i have a degree that i'm not using so that 
So real estate really was for me a way of like marrying these two things because I have six sisters and two brothers and they're all idiots with money, just like, <laughs> I, like I was. So I was like, okay, if I can do something to help you guys you know, do better, you know, then I'm going to do it. And that's what real estate was initially. And then it just continued to grow to the point looking broadly, it was like, okay, well, there's a whole world of investors out there who are just as lost or just as hungry or you know, just as deserving you know, these investment opportunities, it shouldn't just be reserved for super wealthy people. So. Oh, I could only get me started on that credit right? investment <laughs> bullshit. Um, and yeah. they're trying to make it harder. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I did a podcast on that. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense, guys. I'm so confused. <laughs> like, uh, I've been watching this Theranos trial and watching all these fucking people that invested in something. They're rich. They didn't do any diligence. Like, yeah. <laughs> what is it about having money that suddenly makes you better at utilizing it? Like, no, that's bullshit. Yeah. And on the flip side, and, and for the listeners who don't, don't understand this rabbit hole that we're going into, but <laughs> like, 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 like the difference between accredited and non-accredited, the SEC says if you make over $200,000 a year or have a net worth over a million, then you are a god of investing. You can invest in whatever you want. But yeah. if you make less than that or you have less than that, then God forbid that you're allowed to make your own investment decisions. They need to protect you. Yes. If you want to go to Vegas this weekend and blow your life savings, go for it. Yep. So it's like, come on, Put guys. it all on a spin of the roulette wheel. Yeah. No one's going to stop you. So you, you couldn't have invested in Uber, you know, in the angel. But you can go play blackjack. It's like, right. come on, guys. This you is can buy awesome. lottery tickets. Yeah. And yeah. they encourage you to. <laughs> buy some lotto yes. tickets. Don't buy Uber. You don't know how to invest properly. Buy these lottery tickets. That's good enough for you. Yeah. Uh, so invest in space cars and buy lottery tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the, the takeaways here. <laughs> oh, notes. good Lord. Way to space bring car. that back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was worth the 30 minutes that they're going to have to wait. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> the listeners who, who like stayed with us this entire time. Yeah. yeah. Well done. That's, that's, your, that's your gold ticket. Um, Dan, do you have anything else you want to ask about ADHD or, or any of that before I uh, pivot into real estate? No, I mean, I, th- I think he covered pretty much the basics. Um, my journey sounded very, 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 very similar. I was just curious if you managed to take, take notes. <laughs> take notes. See, I have a recording of it. Why am I going to take notes? Yeah, are you taking notes? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, good point. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, let's dive into uh, a little bit about real estate then, a little bit more. One of the things that's, well, obviously with the the housing prices going through the roof after the COVID, I think we saw a lot of people moving out from cities into suburbs. Uh, it seems like we've started to see what looks to be uh, another bubble starting to form. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that as far as the real estate market as a whole today? Yeah, that's a good question. I think real estate is such a broad category. There's so many different sub asset type, uh, asset types, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of times when people think of real estate as being risky, they'll think of like 2007, 2008, the financial crisis. And they're like, yeah, real estate is risky. Look at what happened, right? But that was really like largely an effect for single family homes, right? Where we saw just massive foreclosures. We saw things going underwater constantly. But then if you look at commercial real estate, the way that the loans are valued and issued, it's fundamentally different. So it's on an income based approach, right? So it's looking at the business and saying, okay, is there how much cash flow is coming off of this thing? So, so banks are lending based off of that, the DSCR, which is just the debt service coverage ratio. And what they're asking is like, okay, is this business co- like creating enough cash flow on a monthly basis to cover the debt service and then also the expense ratio? Sweet. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's 
on one hand, when we talk about like the bubble, I don't, I don't necessarily see it on that front right now. The banks are still loaning, you know, with pretty tight margins mm-hmm. on, you know, loan to value at 75 to 80%. You're not going to see too much more than that. You're still seeing healthy DSCRs around 1.2 or 1.25. So I don't think that there's necessarily a bubble forming there. I think the issue is that there's just so much liquidity in the market right now. Right, that people can afford to pay a lot, and debt is still so cheap. Yeah, I know interest rates are going up, but it's still like historically low. Well, so yeah, you know, people are able to pay these higher valuations, and I do think it will create this environment where the yield will be less. Like mm-hmm. what these properties and these assets will ultimately generate as a return will be less. But in an environment where, I mean, what are you going to? Where else are you going to go to to get that yield? Like it's still better than the alternative. In a lot of ways, right? <laughs> so it's a good question to always be asking, like, are we on a bubble? But the thing that's really interesting is like ever ever since like 2016, everybody's been saying, like, oh, real estate's on a bubble. Like we're in a bubble. Like it's gotta pop and the bubble just keeps getting right. Yeah. And that doesn't mean like trees grow to the sky, right? Like eventually things correct. You know, I don't necessarily think that we're there though, based off of what we're seeing. Like mm-hmm. we're seeing all-time high valuations and purchase prices. But how much of that is because of shortages? Exactly. And it's ultimately a supply-demand issue. If you look like from 2010 through 2016, 2012, 20, actually currently, like we we as a country, just from a development standpoint, did not build enough new stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we just stopped building things because nobody could come up with the money, nobody wanted to build. It was a bad time. And so there's this huge shortage of supply versus the demand. And until we get that rectified, which even with really optimistic, you know, projections, like we're not going to be able to get on the right side of that for another decade. Oh, um, wow. and, and we're not, and we're still like, honestly, that's with really optimistic projections. Cause like, we're not building enough currently to satisfy the demand. And so whenever you get the supply demand disequilibrium, that's great for an investor problematic for the consumer because while we're seeing like rental prices and valuations go up, we're not seeing a commensurate rise in income. Right. And so what, what ends up happening is the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, right? Mm -hmm. The the gap between the two just continues to to extend. So those who have assets do great. Those who can't afford to get into assets don't do great. And And typically assets price them out too. The more it goes. Exactly. Makes it harder and harder. Yeah. And historically, the, the types of assets that we acquire, like institutional grade commercial real estate, like your mom and pop Joe, like the teacher could not buy this thing. He could not yep. invest in this thing. Right. I almost bought a fourplex once mm. and then I end up backing out because there's just going to be too much to, to fix some of the structural issues. But even that was, I think that's at the max end of what you can do is to not have to get a commercial loan. <laughs> Exactly. Once it goes five units and above, it's it's yep. commercial, and that scares a lot of people. They don't understand it, which just again exacerbates the issue. To your to your question, are we in a house? Are we in a bubble? I don't see it. Mm-hmm. I personally don't see it because I don't see the bank lending restrictions in a place of uh, weakness at the moment. So, but again, guys, I'm really biased. So take, take yeah, me right. Well, of course. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how do you think the uh, the the raising of interest rates is going to affect the markets going forward? That's a that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good answer. You guys consume any Howard Marks? How, what's that? Howard Marks. Don't think so. Is that a podcast? Yeah, no. So Howard Marks, he's like this legendary investor from Oak Tree Capital. He, um, he wrote a book, the, the Most Important Thing, and then another one called about, uh, about Market Cycles. Just a fantastic... He's like a Warren Buffett type, old guy, really smart. 
And he's been issuing memos for the last 25 years, like, and they're all free on his website, oaktree.com. One of the best resources ever for investment advice. <laughs> Are you thinking I'm pulling my questions from there? recently shared a memo where he's like, listen, like when it comes to like projecting the future and macroeconomic trends, he's like, I don't, I don't know. Like nobody yeah. knows. Like, here's my best guess. Like, but we got to pre- prepare for, for all contingencies. So all that's to say is I don't know. But as interest rates rise, what is interesting is there's always been this thesis or this, not a thesis, I guess it's been like this assumption, mm-hmm. conclusion that interest rates and cap rates are correlated, right? So cap rate is a, you know, capitalization rate, just a, uh, a multiplier effect in real estate in particular, where we take like the net operating income, so the amount of cash flow is things generating, divide it by that multiplier, that cap rate, and that gives you the building value, right? So that's a really oversimplified way of looking at it. But what we're seeing is interest rates are rising, cap rates continue to go down. So usually those two things would not happen, they would go together. And what we're seeing is there's just so much liquidity in the marketplace that it's like broken this fundamental connection between these two items that everybody always assumed are like linked, right? So despite interest rates going up, because as interest rates go up, we can afford to pay less for a building, right? Because our debt service is so much more. And so you would say, okay, well, as the debt service or the interest rate goes up, we can afford to pay less. And yet people are still paying more. (laughs) It's like, well, how is this possible? And the answer is like, there's just a lot of money in the system right now. And how that all plays out, because like, again, like the last two years have just been crazy money printing bonkers time. So right. who knows how this all plays out? And anybody that has like a, anybody that has a firm stance that they're willing to get on a soapbox and, and profess, I would run from that person because they don't. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> What's that saying about the market? The market room remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I think that was from the big short. Yeah, that's one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say commercial real estate, are you talking about like apartment buildings or? Yeah. yeah. So between our portfolio is like, I don't know, 40 million of worth of like 20 to hundred unit complexes. We like, we like that space a lot. And what kind of return are you typically getting on, on that investment? Um, so for limited partners coming into a deal, we underwrite for a base 15% IRR. Mm-hmm. All of our deals at this point, We've had multiple go full cycle. I've delivered north of twenty percent, but we don't like. We're the type, we, we really don't want people pegging expectations to twenty percent. No, no. We're like none <laughs> to fifteen. Um, these deals are structured in a way that they have a preferred return. Of, on our deals, we usually do a seven percent preferred return, and that just simply means limited partners collect a minimum seven percent return before we, the general partners, get to share in the profits. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's not a guaranteed return. Doesn't mean that you're going right. to get that. It just means. Right. You, <laughs> Before You're I move, first in line, we're going to get that. Yeah. But yeah, 15% is where we like to peg expectations. It's not very often a retail investor gets to be first in line to be paid. Nope. Exactly. <laughs> so how small of a retail investor can get involved in some of these deals? Yeah. So that's the thing, right? And this is where it gets harder for, for retail investors is that the minimum investment amount for us is 50,000. Mm-hmm. Um, other groups that might, might be different, right? It might be less, might be more. Industry standard is about fifty thousand, and that's still problematic for like retail investors who maybe don't have just fifty thousand sitting around. But mm-hmm. what a lot of people don't realize is that you can utilize retirement funds. So if you have like an old four hundred one k with a previous employer or an IRA, you can put that into a self directed uh, account and then invest into these vehicles. And so that's what a lot of our investors do. They've been you know 
teachers or you know, firefighters for a long time. And they're like, oh, I got money sitting in my retire- retirement account. And I want to diversify that. So it's not all sitting in the stock market. So they'll invest in these deals as well. How do you do that? That sounds actually very interesting. Yeah. So the self-directed IRA is actually really awesome. So if you have like a 401k with a current employer, you're probably not going to be able to do it because the whoever's overseeing the plan probably won't let you do it. But if you have a previous 401k with an old employer, like you get to decide what, what that Right. It does, right. So you can put it in just into a new account called a self-directed IRA. We work with a company called Advanta. They've been great. They're just really good customer service. We don't get any benefits out of this, by the way, like get any kickbacks or anything, but it's just like my girlfriend, like she's, she set up an account and she moved her, she had a 403B. She's a teacher. So she moved all of her funds into a self-directed. And now what you can do with the self-directed is you can invest it into anything that you right. want. Like you can invest it into crypto, you can go into gold, you could invest into alpacas if you want to, if you think that's a good <laughs> thesis, you could. Uh, yeah, make some good fur. Yeah, yeah. the main thing is like, uh, they do actually. <laughs> that, that woman I tried to marry once, her, her parents had an alpaca farm. So Oh yeah. Oh, and they were questioning how you were going to provide? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll raise emus. <laughs> but what's really interesting about the self-directed IRA is like, Setting it up is super easy. It's like a piece of paper, and then the uh, the ongoing fee is like super nominal, like maybe a, maybe a hundred bucks a year or something like that. Um, then you have the ability to invest it into all different types of things. There are some rules about what you can invest into. Like you can't invest into your own deal, right? Like right. there are some arm's length transactional things going on there. Um, but that's just one of the things that most people don't realize that like they actually have more control over their retirement funds than they think they do. Yeah, I've actually moved a few of mine out into my TD Ameritrade account, so that way I could invest them in you know stocks or whatever I saw fit. Yeah, but I didn't realize you could do basically venture capitalism in the real commercial real estate through that. Yeah, that's huge. Yep. You know, I, I actually have a self directed IRA that I use to angel invest. So tech startups, right? Like really? do, it's, it's amazing. And, oh. and and like there was this whole hullabaloo last year where like the Congress and they were like, oh, we're going to get rid of uh, the self-directed IRA because Peter Thiel did this exact thing where mm-hmm. you know he held his ownership shares in PayPal and then suddenly it's worth billions. And that's really not what it was intended for. But like, um, so they wanted to throw the baby out with the bathwater and just take away the whole thing. They're right. like, no. Like nobody gets to do this if Peter does it. <laughs> um, <laughs> thankfully, that got shot down because it would have created it. Just uh, again, it would have just screwed over the non-accredited investors, like the retail investors on on Main Street. Yeah, you think they didn't vote or something? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> like, how can there be so many of us and we still get fucked at every turn? <laughs> Gerrymandering. <laughs> <laughs> There's a term I haven't heard since high school. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, if only I knew in high school just like how important that term was going to play out in my oh, life. Right. <laughs> Ranked choice voting. <laughs> they do that in like most of the civilized world. It's yeah, because it's like how you ha- would handle a giant population voting on representatives. It's just the most easy way. Nah, nah we've got um, what is it? The Congress or no? Um, what is the voting? The, thing the electoral, college? Yeah, electoral college. Electoral yeah. college. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm take it. <laughs> Just the worst system in the world. Now we're getting political. Uh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Stepping on landmines. Quick, Dan, ask a real estate question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go back and I'll bleep every time we say voting, and then people won't know what we're talking about. Oh, perfect. That'll be hilarious. <laughs> people will be so confused. <laughs> you know, it's filthy if those fuckers bleeped it. <laughs> Um, looking at some of the the projects that you have on your on your website right now, 
Duluth, Grand and Goodrich. These are pretty nice buildings, it look like. Thank you. We made them better. And that's like what we so, do is what we do is called value add with my family. So we go buy buildings that for whatever reason they're they're not performing as well as they could and we go make them better. So do you go in and modernize them then or do you just uh do we what? Like what do you mean by that? Are you like going in and like modern modernizing them? Like yeah, in a lot of cases the appliances, putting tile exactly. in. Yep. Refreshing the units, making them nicer, putting in some nice laminate floors, better countertops, better um, uh, cabinets, appliances, fixtures, just generally making a better living environment. And how long do you, does it typically take until you get your, your payback on these? Like for you as the investor? So we buy assets that are cash flowing from day one. So what that means is, so there's a couple of different ways that there, people are collecting money throughout the life of the deal. Mm-hmm. There's quarterly uh, cash flow distributions. And we buy assets that are already stabilized and performing to a certain level. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that we, we really look for, but we're looking for assets then that we can go and improve. So they're doing good, but we can do better. We can do gooder. <laughs> so usually what this looks like is we'll go through the renovation reposition phase and that'll take about two to three years and then we'll do a refinance. So you know, we'll go in there, we'll make all these improvements, we'll increase the NOI, which is just, again, the cash flow, which is an important number because that's the number that the bank is going to value the building based off of. So the more um, cash flow, the more profitable we can make the business, the more valuable it's going to be in the eyes of the bank. Then when we go do a refinance, we put on a new loan, we pull out all the initial equity, and now we're right. you know, just playing with uh, house money at that point. And then what do you, I mean, what's the end goal with these pro, uh, properties that you're um, acquiring? Are you trying to just hold them and just continuously building a bigger portfolio or are you ever flipping these? So it depends. Um, and, it, and again, this is like in this, in this industry, it's going to be different depending on the operators. For us, we project a five to seven year hold with the idea of being in five to seven years, we're going to have done all the work, we're going to squeeze the juice and, and we're going to sell it. And that's going to be where we're going to get the optimum IRR. In reality, what we talk with our investors about is like we're we in talking with all the old people that are still around in real estate, mm-hmm. the thing that they always regret is selling. They're like, I just right. wish I hadn't sold. Right. <laughs> and so we talk with our investors and say, Yeah, if I still, if I still owned Manhattan, I wish yeah. you gotta delete the uh the Zillow account whenever you sell a house. I've exactly. Noticed. <laughs> exactly. Because you're just like constantly like I made a bad decision. And and so we talk to our investors and say, listen, we project five to seven years so that you can get an idea of like what the IRR expectation is because we have to have an exit event to calculate that. Mm-hmm. But realistically, if it makes sense and we've pulled out all of our initial capital and we're holding this thing with, you know, and it's cash flowing and it's solid and, it's, and we, we like it still. Yes, there might be higher and better uses of that capital that we could go and deploy it elsewhere. But when we turn around and give you a bunch of money, we also give you a bunch of problems, which is now you have to turn around and figure out what to do with it. And right. if it makes sense just to continue holding that asset, we prefer to do that just indefinitely, like right. just buy and hold it forever. Because um, it's a de-risked investment at that point. We've got our initial investment capital back. It's still cash flowing. It's still generating. Now we don't have the headache of like the tax implications or having to go and rush to find the next deal to deploy that capital in so that inflation doesn't just burn up all our money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's our 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 approach to it. So when uh, when somebody is investing in one of these these projects, are they investing in the project itself, or are they investing in Invictus Capital as a whole? It's it's project by project, and so there's there's two ways that you can do this. Um, 
There's what's called single asset syndication, which is if you go on our website and you look at all those deals, like each one of those was presented in, in um, uh, its individual nature to investors and said, hey, do you want to invest in Duluth? Do you want to invest in Grand? And they get to see the numbers, they get to see the business plan and all that stuff. There's another way, which is called the fund, right? And like, I think people are more familiar with the fund model, which is, you know, put some money into this thing and maybe we're raising $5 million. And the idea is that we're going to go deploy that $5 million across three to four to five different assets, mm-hmm. uh, a certain type, a certain quality, a certain yield. Um, and then that investors don't necessarily get any say in which deal or which buildings those are being deployed into. They're investing largely into the, the macro thesis, but right. people aren't investing into Invictus Capital. They're investing into the LLC that owns the individual building. Gotcha. What can go wrong? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot. So, I mean, the, the thing is, like, it's real estate, but really it's a business, right? Yeah. Like, each one of these things is an individual business. You, you have to go in there and maximize revenues, decrease operational expenses. And whenever you get into that world, operational expertise matters, right? It's, it's, it, it's just mm-hmm. what is, is what it is. So, the number one risk that you're going to run into is operators. Can they do what they say? Are they trustworthy? Like I say, I talk a big game, right? But at the end of the day, like if I turn out to be a crook or a fraud, like then like numbers don't lie, but I can make them say whatever I want. So like the performer no longer matters. Right. And if, and maybe, maybe I'm not a crook, maybe I'm just delusional and I think I can do this, but I I actually get into the field and now I'm like, Oh, I can't actually, I thought I could do this, but it is really hard. Right. Yeah. (laughs) There's always operational risk. That's the biggest one. Um, this macroeconomic risk, I mean, investing is dangerous. It's risky inherently. And well, luckily this isn't your first project. So yeah. <laughs> you at least have yeah, a track it, record. <laughs> exactly. And, and the thing for us is that, you know, I started in 2012, 2013, buying my own assets. And I did that until 2019. That's mm-hmm. 2019 is when I, we took in our first retail investment. Um, and I, I firmly believe in this industry that you need to pay your tuition at the school of hard knocks with your own dime before yep. you go money from other people. Because for me, like, uh, I know, I, I remember the value of a dollar. Like, I, I remember having to do mental, cal- like, mental calculus, and I'm not good at this. So be doing the math between, like, should I fill up my van slash my home with gas, or should I go get food? Like, right. when those are your choices, and you're like, hmm, I got $10. Yeah, what should I fill? Yeah, I got to stretch it. Do I fill myself? Do I fill the car? Right. Or the pothole. Yeah, the pothole. <laughs> and like money, money is like for me. Some it's still a trigger. It's still a thing where I look at it and I'm like I'm super cheap. I'm so cheap. My girlfriend like gives me so much. Everybody gives me a lot of crap. Like I'm really, really cheap. Yeah. Uh, because it pains me to spend money, but it's also a good attribute in the sense of like working with investors because when they give us money, I don't really see the money. I see the time and the energy that they exchanged to get that money, and right. it's like. $50,000 for most people is a lot of money. That's a right? lot of like, work. It's a lot of work that went into that. Mm-hmm. So I look at that and I'm like, this is a really, this is a really important sacred uh, trust that's been formed here. Like, I don't want this money unless I'm really, really certain that I can do right by it. So have there ever been any projects that you've failed on? No, nothing that's failed, but we have things that have not gone to plan. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like... Earlier, I said, like, I'm a guy that just believes, like, if I don't give up, I, I've never failed. Like, if I yep. just keep moving forward, like, I fail my way to success. And we have had, you know, we, d- we closed a deal in January of 2020 that was a heavy value add. And what that meant was there was a lot of work to be done on this deal. We needed to get in there. We needed to move out literally all the tenants because it was 
real rough. It was really, really rough. And then we had to do all these renovations in the building, right? That became very difficult when three months later, there's an eviction moratorium. Suddenly the cost of like logistics and supplies and labor is like short supply. Everything's super expensive. We're like, Hmm. All right. Our performance lumber quadruples. Yeah. Suddenly things are like looking a little bit uh, dubious. So like, that's an example of like the plan did not go to plan. Um, But thankfully, like it wasn't a failure in the sense that we come into each deal really well capitalized with a lot of reserves Mm -hmm. because we're the types of guys that assume like the world is always like on the precipice of ending. So let's just try like the best way to prepare for that. Like to your point earlier, like the, the markets of rationality can outlast your solvency. Like our thesis is like, well, if that that's probably, that's true. But the only thing that we can do as a result is try and be really, really solvent. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to know, uh, do, are your retail investors able to like keep their money growing inside the investment? Like, so when uh, there's like a cash flow distribution, let's say quarterly, or we do a refinance and return capital, you're asking, can they keep it in the deal? Yeah. Can they just keep rolling it into a greater, uh, larger stake? No, no. Okay. No. So we, we raise all the capital and like ownership stakes and like um, shares of the company is all divvied up at the beginning. Right. And so you're not, everybody's share would be increasing pro rata. So it wouldn't really work anyway. Right. Um, so it does create, so here's the thing, here's what's really cool about real estate is like, there's a lot of tax benefits to it. Right. And as being uh, a limited partner in these deals, you still get to benefit from the tax uh, benefits, which is the tr- depreciation. So what oh, ends up I love depreciation. I love it. It's so good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> most people don't understand it. And we started talking about taxes and people have already tuned out, but Hey, like right. I promise we're, we're going to come back to spaceships and rocks, rocket ships a little, <laughs> yes. a little bit later. Right? The taxes, like this is important because what we do is it's called a cost segregation study with accelerated depreciation. Okay. All these fancy words. What it really means is that the cash flow that you're receiving throughout the life of the, the deal is pretty much, and I'm not your tax advisor and I don't pretend to be one on TV either. So like talk to your guy uh, or gal before, when you're getting tax advice. But generally what we've seen with our investors is that all the cash flow that you're going to be getting throughout the life of the deal mm-hmm. is going to be completely wiped out by the depreciation and the passive losses. Now, when we go to sell the building, there is depreciation recapture. That's a different problem for a different day. But generally what this means is more money stays in your pocket longer, right? So you just get to kick the tax can really far down the road, mm-hmm. which, is, which is really important. The second part is the cash out refinance, which I was talking about before, where yeah. we go add the value, then we recapitalize it with a new piece of debt. That's a tax-free event. So you're just receiving your initial capital back. Mm-hmm. So if you put $50,000 in and we do the refinance and let's say we return 50% of your capital, that means you get $25,000 that you can go redeploy in another deal. It was tax-free. Like you don't have to pay taxes on that. It's awesome. What's wow. really important in that wow. is that though we return your capital, your ownership stake in the deal is not being diluted. Oh, that was my question there. Okay. So you're not cashing this out at that point. And again, this is different for different operators. This is how we do it. You're just getting your investment back. Exactly. But you're still in the deal. You still own and you're still getting cash flow, right? Oh, wow. So this is, and this is how we do the deal because again, like our families are in these deals with us. We don't want right. to buy them out. <laughs> we yeah. like, no, we want you to stay in the deal. Like you, this is good. It's a good thing for everybody. That is awesome. And as the loan gets paid down, the, the payout gets increases, I'm assuming. 
Yeah. So your, your return is going to be, you know, depending on your ownership stake, right? And as the deal goes on, what ends up happening? Yeah, you have principal pay down, which is awesome. But the deal starts to be like, start to operate more efficiently as time goes on as well. Mm-hmm. So it tends to be just like higher and higher cash flows as time goes on through that. Especially after you fixed everything that can break. Exactly. Yeah. Now, like our expense ratio might have been around 45%. Now it's like 38%. So it's like, oh, more cash flow. Perfect. So, how are wow. the Twin Cities as far as like a rental area? We love the Twin Cities, but again, I'm biased. So I'll leave, <laughs> I'll leave with some of the, some of the hair on the dog. Um, St. Paul initiated rent control last year. Like, mm-hmm. and that sucks. Like, that makes it a lot harder to operate. But for us, the Twin Cities are a fantastic market because what a lot of people don't realize about us is that we have more Fortune 500 companies per capita than any other city in the country. Mm-hmm. So like, the, everybody, for whatever reason, like these Fortune 500 companies all want to be in the frozen north. And it's awesome. Like, we have a really <laughs> high quality of life. We're like the third fittest city in the country. And maybe most importantly, when it comes to like the economic situation is that we have a really high median income around $70,000, $75,000 and a really low cost of living. So our mm-hmm. affordability index in terms of what people can afford is massive. So usually what people budget for um, rent or for cost of living, like in a home, right, is about 30% of your budget. So roughly right. 30% of your income should go towards your housing. In our market, the, like, people are only spending about 22, 21%. So it's mm-hmm. like they, there's still a lot of room to absorb rent growth. And like, so it just signals that it's not like a overvalued market where people right. are just getting touched, right? So we love it for all those reasons. It is harder to operate from a regulatory standpoint than it would be if we were in Texas and it's, you know, a red state where it's like, yeah, go do what you want. Like, yep. <laughs> not in peace. Like, that's not like, here it's a little bit different, right? And that, that can turn people off for sure. But that's also our opportunity. And that's where we find our unique edge is this is our backyard. And we know, we know the, the city council, we know the mayor, we know how to operate within it. And there's a lot of opportunities to be found as a result. That's fucking, that's something else. Oh man. That's amazing. Okay. Well, now I got some homework to do. Yeah. Also, we have really bad sports teams. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> <Poor> Vikings. <laughs> Aren't you the home of the Juicy Lucy too? We are. <laughs> I was going to say, how can you, you be fit with those? <laughs> Maybe I should have left with that. <laughs> what the hell is the Juicy yeah. Lucy? It's a it's- hamburger that has uh, the cheese stuffed in the middle of it in a pocket. Injected molten cheese. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Sign me up. I haven't made one of those for you yet, Dan. No, sign me up. Sign me up. <laughs> I mean, if you guys find yourself in the Twin Cities, I'll, 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 we'll take a Juicy Lucy tour. Oh, fuck yeah. I once made the mistake of, uh, I used to grind my own bacon oh, yeah. uh, to mix into my hamburger meat. And I tried making a Juicy Lucy with that, but then it just ended up filling up with bacon grease when I bit into it and just scalded everything. <laughs> We had a, we went to this um, this local burger joint this uh, last week for an investor thank you party because we just closed on a deal like uh, two weeks ago so we oh nice had a party and this this place has like the, one of the best I think it's ranked the best hamburger in Minneapolis so it's really really, really? good and I'm sitting there and I'm like you know dressed nicely because you know. We, Shouldn't look like a slouch, I guess, when right. we're um, like, hey, trust us with your money. I'm over here in the future. Um, and I bite into the burger and like scalding cheese just goes everywhere. I'm like, oh, this is my life. <laughs> oh, God, that's hilarious. <laughs> Hopefully it was an expensive suit. It was, unfortunately. <laughs> it's all right. These are, these are first world problems for sure. 
Oh, he's Giorgio Armani's jacket. <laughs> this, this guy <laughs> in this space car. Oh, I think we're running out of time, Dan. Yeah, unfortunately. Oh man, this was this is a fun conversation. Um, Anthony, do you want to tell uh, tell people where they can find out more if they want to learn more about Invictus Capital or more yeah. of, about your your other projects? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll give you guys some homework here. Um, yeah, yes. I mean, you guys want to learn about what we do on the real estate side? Go to InvictusMultifamily.com. There's a ton of resources there. The podcast is Multifamily Investing Made Simple. But if you want, like I, I, we mentioned before, if you want a copy of the book, um, Passive Investing Made Simple, which is just breaks down everything that we already talked about here. Cause I think, I know that this investment vehicle is probably not on the radar of most investors. Mm-hmm. Like I talked to a lot of investors, like I've never heard of this. So if you want to learn about it, just shoot me an email, Anthony at Invictus multifamily.com. Say, Hey, I heard you on the podcast. Loved what loved everything except for the rocket car part. That was weird. Um, but I want a free book. If you send me that message or a message of that sort, then I'll send you a free book. They don't have to criticize us. Yeah, I would like to point know. that out. No, but, but, um, <laughs> no, in fact, if uh, if you guys go leave a review, that would be that's how you get the book, right? Yeah, there you go. Go leave, go leave these guys a review. Go 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 thank them for the effort. <laughs> They're going to be reviewing our <laughs> our hamburger choices. They're going to be like, <laughs> for life. Yeah, to learn how to make a bacon burger from the show about investing. <laughs> otherwise i'm on social medias everywhere so if you guys just want to come oh, DM. Are you on uh, the the twitter or i'm on the twitter i'm on the facebook the linkedin the instagram all the places mm-hmm. so anthony if you just google anthony vicino i think i'm like i'm not the only one but i'm 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 definitely the tallest the, the one with the good photos right so <laughs> i think that i think that helps me rank on google <laughs> I we have an Instagram account, but I have not been able to figure out how to do anything with it. <laughs> I think it's designed yeah. to be operated from your phone. <laughs> the it desktop is. version does not work. <laughs> yep, yep, I exactly. So Thank you so much, Anthony, for for stopping by and joining us. This is a this is a fun conversation and informational too. I actually learned quite a bit. Enlightening, yes. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. All right, Dan, you want to take us home? Yeah, uh, that was a really, really awesome time. I really do appreciate you stopping by, Anthony. Thank you, thank you. Uh, folks, we'll be back at you soon. Can't, uh, can't stay here. But hey, you don't have to go home. Uh, until next time, happy trades. <laughs> Bye. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.